The Bible is God's word to us, so let's pray and ask him to help us understand what he is saying to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us your word, the Bible. Do please help us this evening to understand what this passage in your word says. Help us to think carefully about how it applies to our lives and help, it, help us to put it into practice. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we come back to Romans chapter 14. It's been, it's been a little while since we've looked at Romans. You've had a, a lovely little jaunt in the book of Jude while I've been away. So let me, let me put you back in the picture of Romans. Romans chapters 12 to 15, we're talking about true worship. That's our topic. God is telling us the kind of worship that he wants. Now, the sentence that summarises it all for us is way back in chapter 12 and verse 1. I think it'd be good to have a look again at it. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. This really sets us up right through from chapters 12 to 15. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Just have a bit of a look at uh, those verses again. Notice there, can you see, true worship starts off with God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, we do certain things. In other words, we need to realise that we are sinners who deserve God's anger. That's what we deserve naturally for our disobedience to God. We need to realise that instead of just judging and punishing us, out of his sheer mercy, God has given his son to die in our place. Jesus died on the cross in our place, rose again from the dead, and we need to realise that now, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we rely on Jesus... Because of God's sheer mercy, we can be forgiven. We can be at peace with God. We can be accepted by God and we can look forward to being with God in glory forever. That's the starting point for worship. We understand the mercy of God to us in Jesus. It's in view of God's mercy. Can you see then how we respond to God's mercy? It starts off with our minds. Can you see the renewing of your mind by the gospel transforms us. So we, we think differently and that transforms us into people who, who can test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will, who, who know what God wants and who want what God wants. And then as renewed, transformed people, understanding God's mercy, we then live for God. What parts of our lives? Every part of our life. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true act of worship. So there's true worship. In response to God's mercy, we give him everything, 24-7, every aspect of life. And then in chapters 12 to 13, we've had uh, plenty of detail about what that'll mean, haven't we? We've seen what worship will mean in our relationships with each other. We've talked about our relationships to the world. We've talked about our relationship to government. We've talked about our relationship with our neighbour. There is lots of stuff there in chapters 12 to 13 to work with. I hope you've been challenged. But the thing is this. God does not set down for us specific commands for every single aspect of life. 
there's plenty of stuff that's not in the Bible. It doesn't tell you what colour socks to wear when you get up in the morning. It doesn't tell you whether to tie your shoelaces right hand or left hand. Uh, not everything we do comes with a command or a prohibition from God. And so the question is, if, you, if you're going to offer God all of your life in worship, what are you going to do about these things that we don't have a command or a prohibition? And so you've got things that are called, what the Bible calls in chapter 14 of Romans, disputable matters. Can you see there in chapter 14 and verse 1, it says there, accept him his faith is weak without passing judgment on, can you see it there, disputable matters. That's what we're dealing with here for these next couple of chapters, chapter 14, beginning of chapter 15. We're dealing with these disputable matters and how to, how to worship God in these disputable matters, how these disputable matters fit into our all-of-life worship. Now, Paul's answer comes in, in, in a couple of parts. The summary of it, you probably find in chapter 14 and verse 13 is the best summary. Notice there in verse 13, there are two parts. Now, first, he says we need to stop judging each other. That's the bit that we're going to look at today. And then second, he says we need to act in a way that doesn't hinder other people's faith. And that's what we'll deal with next week. So the two sections. Just look there at Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. That's part one for tonight. Instead, part two... Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. All right, that's where we're going. Uh, tonight we're going to deal with just the first part of the answer. When it comes to disputable matters, we need to not judge each other. We need to, we need to accept each other. And it's there in verse 1, right at the beginning, chapter 14 and verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. Well then in verse 2, Paul tells us the first disputable matter that the Christians were fighting about in Rome. It had to do with food. Now, the situation probably arose something like this. that You had both Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people, who'd been converted. They're both Christians, um, both understood that, that God had had mercy on them in Jesus. Both now wanted to offer their whole lives to God. Both wanted to be living sacrifices to God. But when it came to the matter of food, they came to very different conclusions on how they should worship God. Now, the Jews knew that they weren't saved by obeying the law of Moses. But for some of them as Christians, they still just, they just couldn't come at the idea of a pork sandwich. They were used to eating kosher. They'd always eaten kosher. The Old Testament is clear that God wanted his people to eat kosher. Jesus would have eaten kosher. None of the apostles said you couldn't eat kosher. And so as Christians, they thought, well, the best way we can worship God is to stick with it. Stay kosher. And in fact, living in a pagan culture like Rome, they thought, well, it's a bit like living in a pagan culture like Babylon. We should do what Daniel did. Just stick with vegetables and water. And that's what these Christians thought would be pleasing to God. That's the way they thought they would worship God in, in, in the way they ate. But not everyone at Rome agreed. Many of the Christians knew that Jesus was not bringing them under the Old Testament law. They knew that in Christ all foods are clean, and so they loved their pork sandwiches. They loved to throw a few prawns on the barbie at church picnics. And they were very, very thankful to God for the freedom that they had to eat whatever they want. Haggis, even. <laughs> the uh, old Roman Scots. Uh, you can see the issue there in verse 2. 
One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. See, there's your first disputable matter, what God wants Christians to eat, how to worship God in your, your eating. Now, in one sense, the theological answer to this is very simple. And Paul has already very subtly made it clear to us in the way he's addressed the issue. It's the people who realise we can eat anything who have got it right here. Jesus has made all foods clean. When people still keep to rules about food, that is a sign of what Paul calls a weak faith. It means that people have not understood the freedom that is ours in Jesus. So really, these disputable matters, they shouldn't be disputable at all. They are matters on which Christians have freedom. You can eat kosher if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. We're free. But the thing is, because we are free, well, we are free. And so your theological correctness is not really the issue here. Because if somebody, if a Christian is eating kosher, they're not sinning. Nothing wrong with them doing that. And the same with the Christians who are not eating kosher. There's nothing, no sin involved there. So it's not what you eat or what you don't eat that's the big issue. The big issue is you've got the prawn eaters on one picnic at the church barbecue and the non-prawn eaters on the other barbecue and the never the twain shall meet. The big issue is church unity. It's harmony within the church. It's the attitude that the Christians had to each other. Those Christians who had all the rules about food, that they were judging the other Christians. You can imagine what they were saying. It's like they were saying this sort of stuff as they looked over at the other picnic blanket. Those slackers. They think their faith is an excuse to do whatever they want. They think their faith is an excuse to ignore all of these good and godly rules that we've created here. God's not going to be happy with them and their dirty pork sandwiches. And we don't like them much either, slackers. Then over on the other church blanket, and the other picnic blanket at the church picnic, you had the other Christians who had no rules, and, and they were looking down on the Christians who had all the rules. They were saying stuff like this, you can picture them. Those poor rule-bound legalists. If only they had a mature faith, like our faith. If only they, they knew the freedom that Christ brings. So the big issue isn't, correct, isn't who's correct theologically. Neither side is sinning by what they eat or don't eat. The big issue is church unity. And so Paul comes back to his point. Christians, he says, need to accept each other on these matters. He says, the strong mustn't look down on the weak for their rules. And he says, the weak mustn't judge and condemn the strong for their freedom. There in verse 3. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn or judge the man who does, for God has accepted him. And Paul goes on to say, Other Christians are God's servants. And God is able to save his servants his way. He is perfectly able to save his servants who eat kosher. He is perfectly able to, eat, to, to save his servants who, who, who don't eat kosher. God is able to make either of them stand on judgment day. And so Paul says, you butt out with your judgments other than God's judgments. Verse 4. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. Kosher or not kosher, he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. And so here's the point. If God is giving us freedom on something, if God is accepting people, whether they eat or don't eat kosher, we need to accept each other. We need to give each other freedom. If God is giving us freedom, then we need to give each other freedom. If God has accepted someone through Christ, we don't have the right to not accept them on some other basis. It is fair enough if we rebuke each other on issues of sin. It is fair enough if we correct each other on, on, on issues of sound doctrine. But on matters like what food we eat, it's just not appropriate. We need to allow each other the freedom that God allows us. And we need to accept each other. Well, verse 5, we come to a second disputable matter. This time it's the issue of holy days. Now, back in Rome... For, for many of the Jewish Christians, it was obvious. God has set apart the seventh day as Sabbath. Saturday is the holy day of the week. And of course, you would go to church on all the other biblical holy days as well. Not to pagan inventions like Christmas and Easter, but you go to church on proper biblical holidays like Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These Christians thought well, good and godly holidays that God has implemented. Let's, let's keep up the Old Testament special days. But then many of the other Christians, they knew that in Christ, every day is special. There's no extra special day for Christians. God deserves all of our lives, every day. You can see the issue there in verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Now again, the theological answer is clear. This is another matter where Christians have freedom. It is weak Christians who think you have to observe special holy days. Strong Christians realise no such thing anymore as holy days. In Christ, every day is holy. But again, that's not the big issue. Because, because no one's sinning. It's the same as with the food issue. It's not a sin to have a holy day. It's not a sin to not have a holy day. It's not a sin to rock up to church on Saturday. It's not a sin to rock up to church on Sunday. It's not a sin to rock up to church on Thursday night, except that you'll get in the way of late night shopping. And so Paul says, what you do, you just work out for yourself what you think is best in your all-of-life worship. You work out in your own mind what you think is best for you on these matters of freedom. And there in verse 5 again... Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind that you work out for yourself what is best on these matters of freedom. But as we do, we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume that the people who, make up, who, who, who have these rules are in fact legalists. They may well have their rules out of a sincere desire to please their Lord Jesus. Don't assume that people who, who don't happen to follow your rules about food and holidays are slackers. They may well be celebrating the freedom that is theirs in Jesus, won for them at such great cost on the cross. Both sides could well be doing what they are doing for Jesus. So give each other the benefit of the doubt there in verse 5 again. Be fully convinced in your own mind, but he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. 
He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Doesn't matter if you follow the special days or not. Doesn't matter if you eat kosher or not. What's important is this. It's important that you are living with Jesus as the Lord of your life and giving each other the benefit of the doubt. That they have their rules or their non-rules as sincerely as part of their life of worship before God. The main thing then is that we are living for Jesus. And that's what Paul goes on to say. It is right that we should live for Jesus. He died for us. He rose again for us. He is our Lord. He is the one who deserves our lives and our death and everything. And so whether we, whether we eat, if we eat, we should eat for Jesus. If we don't eat, we should do it for Jesus. If we have a holy day, we should do it for Jesus. If we don't have a holy day, we should do it for Jesus. He is the Lord. He's the one who died and rose again for us. Live for him. There in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Jesus is our Lord. We are called to live all our lives for him so we should do what is right in our own minds as part of our all-of-life service and give each other the benefit of the doubt. And as we do so, we've got to realise that if Jesus is the Lord, if Jesus is the one that people have to answer to, then other Christians are not our Lord. Other Christians are not going to be our judge. And so it's time for us to stop with the judgments of each other or the looking down on each other and give each other the freedom that God gives us. There in verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. See the point of the passage so far? It's got its complications, but, but it boils down to something fairly simple. There are lots of things in the Christian life that we are free either to do or not do. Either we've been set free, about it, set free for it in the gospel or else we just don't have a command or a prohibition about it. And where we have that freedom, we need to give it to each other. We need to make up our own minds what we think is right for us in our all-of-life worship to God, but we need to accept each other. We need to assume that the other person is, is doing what they are doing sincerely in their life of worship to God, and we need to accept each other, even if we come to different conclusions. doesn't mean we can't discuss it. doesn't mean we can't debate it, but we mustn't condemn each other. We mustn't look down on each other over these matters where the Bible gives us freedom. Where the Bible gives us freedom, we need to give each other freedom. Simple enough? Okay, well next week we'll see the further principle that we're not to cause other Christians to stumble in these matters of freedom. But I think it's worth pausing here and thinking carefully about how all this applies to us today because there are, there are stacks of issues 
like the sorts of issues that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 14, where Christians have freedom but where we, where we fight. So let me take you through a few examples, see if I can offend a few people here tonight. <clears throat> take the example of alcohol. Now, I'm a person who does not drink alcohol. I'm convinced in my mind that it is not appropriate for me to drink alcohol. Maybe you, slackers, <coughs> have come to a different conclusion. Maybe you think it's fine for you to drink alcohol. Now, we could have a big fight about it. I could start quoting statistics about alcohol and alcoholism and the pagan and awful Australian alcohol industry and how Christians should stay well away from it and its destructive impacts. You could tell me I'm a weak, rule-bound, immature Christian who doesn't understand my freedom in Christ. But the fact is, this is a matter on which the Bible gives us freedom. You're not sinning by drinking, particularly if you've got a weak stomach. I'm not sinning by not drinking. And so according to this passage, we need to accept each other. I need to accept you and your right to drink alcohol. I mustn't think you're some kind of a slack Christian or something like that. On the other hand, you need to accept me. You shouldn't tease me about being a teetotaler. In fact, I don't drink tea either, so you shouldn't tease me about being a water totaler or whatever I am. You shouldn't try to spike my drinks at parties or something like that. You see how it works? We need to accept each other, give each other the benefit of the doubt, that I will trust that you are giving thanks to God as you enjoy the fruit of the vine and you hopefully give me the benefit of the doubt that it's not just that I'm a weak Christian but that I've got good reasons for not drinking alcohol. We need to accept each other. It's the same for lots of issues. Maybe you're a person who likes Christmas and Easter. I think Christmas and Easter are remnants of paganism. I think they've been exploited by our materialistic culture and they send wrong messages to our community about Christianity. But the fact is, the Bible gives us freedom. You can have Christmas if you want to. You can have Easter if you want to. You can celebrate the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin's second cousin if you want to. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we accept each other. Maybe you're a person who smokes. I think it's an awful habit. But smoking doesn't make you a non-Christian. As Christians, we are perfectly free to smoke or not to smoke. What matters is that we accept each other. A few months ago, I gave a series of talks at an Arabic church and they were having a massive fight, splitting up the church. Some of them loved to go to nightclubs and dance. Others thought that it was ungodly and immodest. And they kept asking me, the kind of the visiting preacher, to, to, to give them a ruling on the matter. Jeff, should we go to nightclubs or not? Should we, should we go out dancing or not? Should we have a rule that, we, that, that people in our church can't go to nightclubs? Or maybe a rule that those who want to be in leadership in our church can't go to nightclubs? Can you see what the answer is from this first part of Romans 14? They found it very frustrating. But the biblical answer, the Bible does not forbid going to nightclubs and dancing. It's a matter of freedom. And so each person needed to think very carefully about what was right and modest and godly in their own conscience. And then they needed to give each other the freedom to live that out. They needed to accept each other. They don't want to make up rules where God doesn't make up rules. Or take music in church. 
not quite such a big issue in this evening service, but it's been a very big issue in the morning service. Uh, some Christians like to sing old hymns to an organ. It's not, uh, it's not real unless it's more than 100 years old. Other Christians like to sing modern songs with a band. It's no good unless it's less than 10 years old. What we're doing in our morning service at the moment, we take it in turns. Uh, one week we'll have the organ and mostly hymns, and then the next week we'll have a band and mostly modern songs. And for months I endured criticism on both sides. On the organ week I'd get all these people whinging about our fuddy-duddy old-fashioned service. Uh, some people left our church because our services are so, quote, stodgy and old-fashioned. Then on the band week, I'd get people whinging about our rock and roll service with its, irrever- with its uh, unsingable songs. Some people left our church because our services are so, quote, irreverent. And this morning, apparently, at this point in the sermon, someone back there said, and they are irreverent. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> Who's right? No one's right. It's another issue of freedom. The Bible doesn't say what style of music to have. It doesn't say what instruments to use. It doesn't say how old your songs have to be. What it does say is that whatever we are singing, we need to sing it with our hearts to God. And what it does say is we need to accept each other. Here are a few more issues. Some Christians think you shouldn't go to the shops on Sundays. Some Christians think you shouldn't eat meat on Fridays. At least one Christian denomination encourages vegetarianism. Some Christians think you shouldn't play cards. Some Christians think you can't have a church camp without playing cards. (laughs) Some Christians Christians think that you can only wear certain kinds of clothes in church. Some Christians think they should never go to see an M-rated movie. Some Christians think that you shouldn't read Harry Potter. Some Christians insist that parents should smack their children. There are plenty of people out there who will want to pick a fight with you on these issues. But the fact is, on all these issues, we have freedom. We are not sinning as Christians one way or the other. And so what we need to do, we need to do what Romans 14 says. We need to work out what we think is best for us and for our families in our lives of worship. We need to think it through carefully and work out how will I worship God in all of my life in these areas. And then we need to graciously accept each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt that we are sincerely seeking to worship God, even if we come to different conclusions. See the point? I mean, I could go on and on and on about this. There are lots of matters of freedom on the Christian life. But in each case, the principle of Romans 14, 1 to 12 is the same. Can you see now what the principle is? Whatever we do, we need to do it for Jesus as part of our worship, as part of our response to God's mercy of giving him our whole life. And we need to accept each other on these matters of freedom. Where God gives us freedom, we need to give each other freedom. Let's pray. Almighty God, our, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that in the Lord Jesus Christ you do accept us. We thank and praise you that when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we are forgiven and cleansed and made your people and we will be able to stand before you on Judgment Day. Our Father, we pray that you'll help us to accept each other on the basis of the Gospel. We pray that you'll help us as we offer sincerely our our whole lives of worship to you to be able to determine carefully what are the issues of freedom and to give each other freedom on those issues. For we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.